Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall, who you guys heard earlier today, if you're listening on Monday, uh, the new host of Royals Review Radio, reviving that show. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. Yeah, I guess I couldn't get enough baseball or something like that. But uh, yeah, doing a little big league centric stuff over there. Ever since, uh, you know, Josh Kaiser ran one of my favorite podcasts, like, you know, I just the the backyard with a beer talk of baseball. I really enjoyed the theme. I really enjoyed um, how clean they were able to keep it while still having a theme like that. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed the Clearing Waivers podcast. It was on the Royals Review Radio channel. So shout out to Josh Kaiser. He'll be joining us here in the next month or so. He already promised me he'd join the show at some point. So, uh, But ever since that podcast, they decided to fold it. You know, they, we were kind of had a, a hole in the lineup in terms of big league centric talk. So got that started back up, big shoes to fill. But I'm, I'm excited about what that opportunity will bring. Yeah, no, it's a ton of fun. I listened to the episode today. If you haven't listened to it already, uh, John, or, uh, Alex was joined by Jeffrey Flanagan. Flanny, you know, is retired now, but, you know, still loves the Royals. He spent so many years covering them that you know, he took the time to talk to him, to Alex about any and everything. And it, it's kind of nice to, to have Flanny unfiltered a little bit. He kind of let his opinions fly a little more than he did, you know, when he was a writer, you know, having to be, you know, play things a little closer to the vest. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And I love to get him on this show at some point too. That would be a, a ton of fun. Mainly because I want to ask, like the main question I want to ask him is, okay, he always posts like cheers everybody with a cocktail after the game. I need to know what that cocktail was. I need to know what the go-to was after a win. That, that's going to be, that, that's all I provide to this thing. You do all the analysis. I ask the fun questions. I think that's where we're, where we're at at this point. But for this, so for this episode, we hit about six or seven guys that are in new places or had standout performances this week. Uh, we're going to try and cut the recap down a little bit um, just, you know, for ease of a ease of use for you guys. Uh, I know you, you know, as much as you may follow the Royals organization, probably don't care how the team does day in day out. It's really just, okay, how are some of the top guys performing? And let's, let's hit that. And then we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to put our tinfoil hats on, talk a little trade speculation of the trade deadline coming up here at the end of the week. Uh, who could go, what could a return look like? Stuff like that. Alex, where do you want to start for, new, you know, standout performances, new guys in new places with some of the, the promotions we talked about with Alec Lewis last week. Where, where do you want to start? I'll let you take the reins here. Yeah, I want to start by kind of shouting out MJ Melendez. You know, it would have been easy for for anybody to have their peers promoted. And then when you aren't promoted, you know, to kind of get, I don't want to say get down, but just kind of, you know, you know, kind of be ho-hum about your business. Especially, by the way, when you're performing every bit as well as your peers and they get to go to the Futures game and they get to go to AAA Omaha, meanwhile, you're still playing at AA. I did not expect that of MJ Melendez. I think MJ Melendez is one of the um, strongest-minded players that that we've ever talked with. But it would have been easy to do so. And all he did last week was was hit 400 – with an OPS of 1367, a weighted runs created plus of 245, he hit four home runs and a pair of doubles in six games against the Tulsa Drillers. I don't know if you know anything about the Tulsa Drillers, but the Tulsa Drillers is the AA affiliate of, of the Dodgers, and they've got some dudes on their pitching staff that can really spin it, that they can really run up the velo. In the first couple games of the series, 
MJ goes one for eight with four strikeouts. And then for the rest of the week, just absolutely lit that pitching staff on fire. Um, big shout out to MJ Melendez. The week he had, I think it was um, Cody Tapp that tweeted that in, and, and I still haven't got to go back and listen to their interview, but they have JJ Piccolo on every now and then on 610. And he tweeted and said something that, you know, JJ said that MJ, as much as anybody, deserved a promotion. And they're just, it was all about playing time. Man, I don't know how you could hold this kid down any longer. The week he just had at double A was ridiculous. Playing time be damned, man. Find some, move somebody around, put the kid at third base. I don't really care what you have to do, uh, but this kid deserves every bit to be in in AAA Omaha right now. And I think the fact that they haven't moved him, and I was, uh, you know, if we want to put a tinfoil hat, tinfoil hat on a little bit, I was talking with Jason Anderson on 810 today that, you know, back in, what was that, 2013? Right before the Will Myers trades, 2012, when Will Myers was lighting the world on fire in Omaha, that they traded him right after that, right? So they were trying to build up his value as much as possible in Omaha. Oh, my gosh, look how good Will Myers is. We're so silly for not calling him up. And then you trade him before he can expose himself to the next level. I'm not suggesting that's what they're doing with MJ Melendez. But let's be honest, the dude's Rule 5 eligible this offseason. He's got to go on somebody's 40-man roster. So if you're not going to put him on your 40-man roster and let him be the potential backup to Salvador Perez on your team, maybe it's in everybody's best, best interest to trade him to an organization who doesn't have their next catcher in line. Um, I've been looking around at some, and it sucks, because, Joel, you're a, you're a Mariners fan, and, and, and y'all got Kyle Riley in the minors, who's a really good catching prospect. I like Kyle Riley a lot. Um, but so, so my point to that is like, I don't think you can package him with Whit Merrifield and send him to Seattle, but there, everybody needs catching, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Peyton Moore has said that the number one call they get every year is on Cam Gallagher. Like everybody always needs catching. Somebody would pay a premium for MJ Melendez. And I don't think that's what the Royals should do. I think what the Royals should do is play MJ Melendez four times a week at the big league level at the second half of next season and extend the careers of both him and Salvador Perez. Catch one, DH one, and, you know, move the lineup along like that. I don't think that's what they will do, though. I think it's more likely he's traded. Um, What say you? I I think it's really interesting because I, I see both sides of it. Like, I think MJ Melendez deserves to be called up by far to triple a he has proven to be too good for the level i think he proved even a couple of weeks ago he was probably too good for the level like nick prado had done and bobby witt jr had done i think he he was in that same class he had been putting up the same types of numbers even better at times than nick prado and and bobby witt jr in spots i think he i think he needs to you know let's let's see what you have in him but i i agree to your point that maybe there is something to keeping him in, in double A, letting him just smash the ball and show everybody. And he's, I mean, he's really good defensively, but we all knew that it was all about how the, how is the bat going to play? And it's played all year long. He, I think he leads all of damn near all of major minor league baseball in home runs. I think he has 24 uh, Griffin Conine has 24, like in high A. So it's 23. So I, I see, I see an opportunity for maybe there to be that, but I, I don't know. I think 
I think he's too good to have to not have the opportunity with the Royals. I because I think he can be the heir apparent to Salvi because I don't think we're too far away from Salvi becoming a part time catcher most of the time DH and then you can flip like you said flip Melendez and that. But then again, and I and I, can't, I know I'm waffling here, but the Royals now have said so they have Saul Garza and they have Kale Emshoff who are solid backup, you know, dudes that can can have a profile to be a big leaguer. Luca Thresh, same thing, who just signed. So it's not like the Royals are strapped for catching depth, which I think is which is part of the reason why Melendez is not a Triple A right now because you have Mavis Valoria and Sebastian Ribeiro in Triple A. But is that do you think MJ Melendez is better than both of those guys? I think the bat certainly is, and he's probably he may be a tick below Rivera, but not far behind defensively. Why not give him the opportunity and just see sink or swim? Let's see what you got. I, I I'd be fine with that with MJ because I believe I truly believe I believe in the talent. I always have. It was just a matter of how is the bat going to play, and right now he's proving all of us wrong for you know, and I for a better part of the season. Yeah, he reminds me, and you know, this is. <clears throat> not fair to the kid, but like in terms of his approach, I think we've gotten to the point now where, yeah, I, maybe that's not a great comparison, so I won't go there, but I really do think the bat can play, like especially if you're only playing four or five times a week. There's a reason people are always looking for good catching. It's hard to come by, so I don't know. Um, the trade deadline is on Friday. We will see. If he is on this, you know, in this organization uh, on Saturday, and then we'll, we'll have a little emergency pod this weekend about the trade deadline at some point and get our thoughts about the trade deadline. But anyway, MJ Melendez had a great week uh, down in Double A. His new teammate, our guy Vinny Pasquantino, the great Pasquambino, um, went ahead. Goes up to double A from high A and has himself a week. Uh, eight hits in his double A debut week. Um, he goes eight for 25. He hits a couple home runs. He hits a double. Or I'm sorry. Didn't he hit two home runs? Yeah, he had two home runs. He had one first AB, crushed the ball to the bullpen to the deepest part of the yard. And then on the and then the next day goes out, hits a ball onto Elgin Avenue out of one oak field there in Tulsa, which it's kind of short to write. But there's so much concourse behind where the foul pole is. Like it's not easy to do that. And he flew the concourse and hit it onto the street. Like it was, it was a legit bomb. It wasn't yeah, even um, either. He, it was a ball almost in off the plate inside, and yeah. he still managed to wrap it around the foul pole. Yeah, I'm seeing it now. Um, and his game logs, they have only got him for one, but on the season stats, they've got him for two. So yeah, he hits two home runs and a double when he as he, as he gets down there. Um, only struck out four times in six games. So the strikeout rate continues, you know, to, to be really impressive. Man, we had him um, number 21 on our prospect rankings today. And I texted you this morning. I was like, that's probably a little aggressive in hindsight. And man, is it like, I don't think it is. <laughs> is I, I it like we, we said it at the beginning of the year, he's either going to prove all of us wrong. We had him in our top 30. We have him 29. Which at the time people were like, "What the heck? Why do you have this dude, you know, in your top 30? And I think part of it was we have a little bit of bias because we we've gotten to know him, you know, beyond just interviewing him on podcasts and stuff. And you want to root for the guy because he's such a good person as well as being a good baseball player. But it was really nice watching him have the success he did in Quad Cities. It was like, 
oh, no, like we truly believe in the player. He was too good for that level, and he dominated it. He goes up double A. I was just laughing my ass off at my desk when he hit that home run first AB. Like, yep, that's just what Vinny does at this point. And I don't know, like, if he's an everyday regular big league player. But right now what he's doing, it wouldn't shock me if he found his way to the show. Like, it's that type of – he's been that type of good and that type of impressive. And if he can make a little more consistent contact in the air – like, he's got so much power that when he gets underneath the ball, it's going to fly. But he hits a ton of balls on the ground. The numbers are going to look inflated in double A a little bit because there's no shift. But the fact that he doesn't strike out a lot and he doesn't swing and miss a lot for being a dude that you would think is just bat first, balls, you know, I'm going to swing and miss a ton. I'm going to strike out 30% of the time and just hit the ball in the air. He doesn't do that. So it's a very interesting profile and there's no comparison for it. So he's a very unique prospect in that regard. But I can see him being a, a big leaguer in some capacity. Very, you know, in the next couple of years, if he continues on the path that he's on, which with how hard he works, it wouldn't shock me. I agree. It's, um, you know, any, anytime you have a first base only slash DH uh, type of bat, you know, there's, there's, there's cause for hesitation in terms of like prospect valuation, but man, I, like you said, we've never seen a guy hit for so much power and, and make so much contact and in, in high a at the age and, I don't know. I'm really excited. I, I, I really think that I really think his approach is advanced. I think his ability to make contact is advanced and we've seen him hit for a better average. Here's my thing with Vinny Pasquantino right now. I've got him. We've got him 21. And like I said, it's a little aggressive. I think, I think 21 is the max he could be on the list. And that's where we've got him. I don't think he can go higher because of the defensive profile. However, if they ban the shift at the big league level, he's a top 15 guy for me. His batting average on balls on play in rookie ball and in high A was right around 298, and that makes a lot of sense. His batting average on balls in play at double A right now, 350. If they ban the super shift and force teams to only put one infielder on the right side against him, he could actually hit like 270 which increases his overall offensive value a ton. That would be huge for guys like Nick Prado, Kyle Isbell, Michael Massey, who in route to getting to that power, hit the pulled ball on the ground sometimes, it would be massive for their prospect value. So that is kind of the caveat that I went there with, with Pasquantino. And one of the reasons I'm so willing to put him at 21 is I think there's a chance they ban the shift, which – Guys like him are going to go nuts if they do. I brought up Michael Massey. I want to talk about him really quick. His first week without Vinny Pasquantino protecting him in the lineup, Joel, seven hits and 20 at-bats, strikes out just three times for the week, hits a home run and three doubles. He's a guy, I think as soon as Jason Guzman gets back from the Olympics, I think he's going to go straight to double-A with Vinny and help them chase down a playoff uh, playoff run there at double-A. But, you know, he he in the same role as Vinny, there's so much power for so little swing and miss there at the high A level that Michael Massey and MJ Melendez to me right now are are in the same boat of they have proven over and over again they're just way too good for the level. I just don't know where you put them at the next level um, as it sits, as the rosters sit at present. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think Michael Massey's impressed the hell out of me this year. I think kind of a little, I had him probably lower than I should have. I can't quite remember where I had him preseason, but uh, definitely proved me wrong. I, I was a little not lower on him is not the correct word, but I just wasn't sure how I felt about him. Uh, he has been incredibly impressive. Like you said, just like Vinny, a lot of power, not a lot of swing and miss, not a lot of strikeouts for a guy that hits for that amount of power. It, it's remarkable what the Royals have been able to do with both of those guys. I think a ton of credit goes to, to Alex Zumwalt and Drew Saylor for being able to work with these guys and find that. I mean, it's, it's remarkable the, the hitting development that we've seen the last, the last year or two. It, it's nothing short of amazing. I can't wait to what Michael Massey does in double A because the dude can play. He, he really can. I don't, and it, it's kind of like Vinny, like, I don't know what the big league profile looks like, but he's a dude that can just hit his way there and they just find a spot for him. But a guy that we're going to hopefully see in the big league soon made hit, a couple of guys actually made their triple A debuts this week in Nick Prado and Bobby Witt Jr. And both had pretty solid weeks. I mean, Bobby Witt Jr. had the, the inside the park home run. Nick Prado hit a grand slam. Bobby Witt Jr. hit another 440 foot homer. Some great plays at short. They're just doing what they've done all year. Right? And wash, rinse, repeat. They're going to go out there. They're going to roll the pole. They're going to play solid defense and they're going to continue to prove their worth. There's, there's just not a lot more. It feels like a broken record. How every week we talk about how impressive these guys are, and it's true. Yeah, Bobby Wood Jr. in his first four games goes two for six, three for five, two for five, three for five. So at least two hits in every game, and then he hits his first out of the park home run on on Sunday, four hundred and forty feet. I mean. I think there may be something to the idea that the pitching at the double-A level was more competitive for them because I think the the pitching at triple-A this year has been bad. It's been really bad. Um, and so I think what they're going to see at triple-A is a more advanced thumbing, spinning the ball uh, approach. Um, and I think that's going to help them just as much as seeing, you know, high-octane velocity and spin rates. Um, but again, Bobby Wood Jr., 11 hits in his first week. Nick Prado goes six for 22 with six strikeouts, five walks, a pair of home runs, a pair of doubles. I mean, I don't really know that they're going to get a huge challenge. Like their numbers at AAA might be better than they were at AA because you don't have a bunch of guys throwing really hard because most of those guys are actually in the big leagues right now. Like the depth of pitching at the AAA level is not very deep. So, they're still going to get a challenge and they're still going to get, you know, a chance to accrue like a hundred plate appearances at worst. But after a hundred plate appearances, if we're staring down September, I think both these guys are coming up because they have absolutely hit the absolute crap out of everything they've seen so far this year, including um, looking really impressive in the all-star futures game. So yeah, I, um, I just – I don't really know what else you can say about these guys. They've been really good, um, and, and I really do. I didn't think we would see it with Prado, but, man, at this point, I really don't know. I really think we're going to see them in September in Kansas City. New CBA be damned. I just – I think they're too good. And I think the Royals want to give the fan base something to look forward to as we head into 2022. Yep. Part of that as well is going to play into the young pitching, the the pitching staff. So – on the other side of this break, we're going to get into the pitching staff, um, and we'll talk about some of the pitchers. We'll talk about Kyle Isbell and then a guy in low A who had himself a week. Uh, so hang tight. We're going to put in a little ad break right here. We'll be right back. All right, one more hitter uh, to look forward to 
maybe being back in September is Kyle Isbell. Kyle Isbell has been on an absolute tear over the last month in Omaha. Um, since June 29th, Kyle Isbell has taken 92 plate appearances. We're talking about almost 100 plate appearances here the last month. A 15% K rate, a 16% or I'm sorry, 15% walk rate, 16% K rate, so a walk to strikeout ratio of almost 1. He's hitting 312 with an OPS of 946, an ISO over 220, so he's hitting for some power, and a weighted runs created plus of 149, meaning he's been 49% better than league average. This is finally the Kyle Isbell I thought we were going to see. On Twitter, I've highlighted some of the issues I still think he's having in terms of cutting the baseball, cutting the ball be damned. He's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball in the air. He's not swinging and missing. He has one of the best swing and miss rates in the organization. He's not striking out a ton. He's walking more than he has, so he's being a little more patient finally. My gosh, the kid can go get it in the outfield. Like This is the Kyle Isbell I really thought we might see in Kansas City as early as opening day. Like I really didn't expect him to struggle like he did. I, I just I think that highly of the kid. Um, Joel, I really think that this Kyle Isbell might be here to stay. And I think if he comes up in September, he's going to pull a Dan Lynch where he where he shows us. And by the way, we're going to get into it. I want your thoughts on Kyle Isbell before we talk about anything else. But can you imagine if Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, Kyle Isbell, Dylan Coleman, Jackson Kowar, Daniel Lynch, they all come up at the end of this season and have really good Septembers, the buzz in this city next spring training. Can you imagine it, Joel? I mean, I'd spend way too much money going to Kauffman Stadium <laughs> a couple times a week to go watch these guys. Uh, might just have to crash at your place a couple of times just so I'm not driving back too much. But, you know, so Kyle Isbell, I mean, I've always thought really highly of him. You, you and I have been kind of leading the train on him. We, I think we had him in our top 10 way earlier than a lot of other people. And it, it did suck to see the struggles he's having. I'm glad to see him kind of getting back to form with what we, we have seen and what we know he can be. I'd be very curious. I, I think the hitting will speak for itself. I'm not going to harp on that too much. You know, he's been great playing right field. and He's played a little bit of center too. If I, I mean, if the, Roy the Royals are already out of it, the season is what it is. I'd be okay, especially if Michael A. Taylor is gone. Just – Kyle Isbell, go go man center in Kauffman Stadium. Let's see what you got. And and see what he has. Because I think he can be that kind of athlete. I think he can man center field. And if he plays center field to an impressive degree to where he can go and run down balls in the biggest outfield in the in the big leagues, it's going to help him so much because it's going to take a ton of pressure off his bat. And he's going to hit. I don't I have no concern about that. I don't think he's going to be like a Brett Phillips where he's going to like you're going to praise hit going to hit to a 65 or 70 way to run straight plus. Like if he can play plus center field and get to like a 90 or 95, like maybe a 110, then we're I think you're in really good shape in Kansas City and you have your center fielder that we have been waiting on since Lorenzo Kane left. I think he I I think that highly of Kyle Isbell that he can be that guy. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I'm I'm there with him in center field, but in terms of like in a pinch for sure um, on the corners, I think he's like borderline gold glove, like Cole Calhoun. Good. I do think he can play center field. I just don't know about the speed. And that's one thing the Royals have been kind of big on is like getting guys that can fly. So I'm glad you think so, because maybe I'm wrong. And, and, and I hope I am because him being able to play center field takes so much pressure 
off the organization to go find another center fielder. So I'm, I hope I'm wrong in that regard. And, and like I said, I'm glad you think he can because the more people who think he can, like I said, the less pressure it's going to put on the organization to find another center fielder. But, you know, he can really, really go get it in the outfield regardless. The bat's been great. And, man, I'm just – I'm so excited to see him having success because he struggled for a little bit there early on in Omaha. I, I, I do think that was probably just some of the effects of – Damn, I was really struggling to, you know, I, I finally had my opportunity to go to the big leagues and struggle, but then, and then they send you right down, like right after, you know, you strike out in half your plate appearances. Like, I think there was some, you know, a little bit between the ears of, you know, experiencing that kind of failure for that amount of failure and the, like that for probably the first time in his life or the first time in a very long time, you know, a consistent level for in, in baseball in general. So I think there's something to that. And I think we're seeing on the other side of it now, which tells me he's got a ton of mental fortitude to be able to get beyond that and get back to the success of like, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm a pretty good ball player. Like I, I can be just fine. A couple of pitching prospects, uh, Jackson Kowar, he's getting back to what we saw pre call up where he's just dominating hitters again. Like the, the stuff is playing just as well as it was before. He seems like he's really found his command and kind of and fine tuned things to a point where wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of weeks he's probably back up in Kansas City. They give him a couple of starts and, and see where things go. It wouldn't shock me if he has the success that Daniel Lynch had, you know, at some point. Uh, like he, like Daniel Lynch had on Sunday. We can get to that in a minute, but I still think really highly of Jackson Coar. I think people really turned off by what they saw early, but people, it's big league baseball. Like, and the only way to know if a guy can pitch in the big leagues is for him to pitch in the big leagues. So He's going to be just fine. I think he's ironed things out, and we're getting back to the Jackson Coar that we've seen for the last couple of years in the minors. Yeah, he still has not walked more than two batters in any start in the minor leagues all year. Like I know, I know he. Let's let's just not sugarcoat this. He wet the bed in the big leagues. I mean, it was yep. bad. He has seventy-seven strikeouts to seventeen walks in Omaha now. He can be a little pitch inefficient at times. I mean, think of like Blake Snell, where you go out there and throw five great innings and your pitch, you look up and the pitch counts at 88, and you're like, huh. Um, he can get a little inefficient at times, but in his last two starts, 11 innings, two runs, one walk and two starts to 16 strikeouts. I mean, like you mentioned, he is finally getting back to what we thought he was going to be able to do. Did struggle a little bit after getting back to Omaha. Had an ERA over seven in his first two starts. Ever since then, um, he's thrown like 14 innings, allowed three runs, and struck out 20 batters. So he's right back to who we thought he was going to be, like he said. I really think he still can be the best of the bunch, and that includes Daniel Lynch, right? The the guy we saw throw eight shutout innings. I still think Kowar can be better. I doesn't mean he will be. doesn't mean he likely will be, but he can. The stuff is that good, so – Really excited to see what he's going to do when he makes it back to Kansas City. I don't know what that role looks like for him. I think in order for him to get starts, he's they're going to have to move Carlos Hernandez to the bullpen, which, duh. Yeah. If they trade Duffy, if they trade a Mike Miner, or if they move a Mike Miner to the bullpen, there's there's an opportunity there. But, um, you know, whatever that looks like, I hope he gets the start because he's really good, and he deserves the same opportunity Daniel Lynch got on Sunday to prove to the Royals – that the, that the investment was wise and that there's a reason to be excited about him heading into 2022. Yeah, speaking of Daniel Lynch, I know it's technically the big league club, but 
it's a guy we've talked about for years at this point, you know, a couple of years and you know how good we believe that he's going to be. And it finally all kind of, kind of came to fruition a little bit after, you know, three really rough goes in, you know, three outings in the big leagues that really did not go well at all. Goes back down to, to AAA and iron some things out, whether it was pitch tipping, mental, what, whatever the case. And I know you talked about it on the Royals review show, but I was at the ball game uh, and recording on Monday. So this was Sunday, yesterday, I was there with my family and I saw Daniel Lynch was pitching and I saw that on Friday when they announced it. I was like, okay, my expectation, I was going in hoping to be like four or five innings, a two, three run ball strike out three or four. Don't walk more than two. And I'll consider that a success considering what we had seen prior to that. And I watched that first inning and I was like, everything looked clear. Like it just looked cleaner. Like his delivery looked like he had kind of figured it out. It wasn't as like herky jerky. Like he looked smooth, efficient. Stuff was popping out. His fastball running up into the mid nineties in spots. Uh, the change he uses change up a lot. Uh, I know he was mostly fastball. He said sixty percent of the time, which was really nice. But to see him use his change up, use his slider effectively, and to be ahead of so many hitters, I feel like every and I have no. I mean, I was also you know had a couple of cocktails while I was at the game, so you know take that for what it's worth. But it felt like every batter, it was. 0-2, 1-2, or if it was 1-0, then it became 1-2 real quick. Uh, he was ahead of almost every batter. He was inducing a ton of weak contact. The strikeouts weren't there, but getting a ton of ugly swings in there too, even on, you know, in early count, you know, pitches. So I, I couldn't have been more impressed with what I saw from him. I wanted to see him go back out for the ninth just to, just to see if he could do it. But to give you eight shutty, after you know being in AAA for two plus months, after when you have a 15 ERA in your first three big league outings, I couldn't have been more impressed with what what Daniel Lynch did on Sunday. Yeah, if you go back over his last five starts, so the four starts he made in Omaha before getting called up, and then Sunday start. So in in five starts, he's got 24.2 innings pitched, um, which seems inefficient. But there's a rain delay or a rain out game in there that shorten a start and then he just legitimately had a bad start in Omaha on the on one of them uh but anyway five starts 24.2 innings pitched 24 strikeouts three walks in five starts he's commanding the ball a lot better and it's not just his fastball and changeup. he is commanding everything he's throwing everything he wants where he wants it when he wants it really good to see because the stuff was never in question it's just a matter of a, can you disguise it enough so guys aren't sitting on anything specific? And B, can you throw it where you want when you want it? And he did all of that on Sunday. Fantastic to see. Hopefully he can go into – if he goes into Toronto and looks good again, fans are going to be buzzing. I really believe that. I think there's going to be a buzz around this town that maybe they can turn some things around. People are so quick to, like, jump onto one start and be like, ah, oh, this is horrible or, oh, this is awesome. So, um Really excited to see what he can do in Toronto this weekend. I'll be watching that extremely closely. Uh, there's there's one guy we want to go back and hit on really quick from the low A ranks, uh, Burl Dixon. Burl Dixon, over his last 10 games, dating back to July 16th, is hitting 400 with a 1289 OPS, a 231 weighted runs created plus, and he's walking in 20% of his plate appearances since then. He's got two home runs and three doubles. This is um, – this dude's interesting. Um, 
if you, if you aren't familiar, Burl Dixon was drafted in 2019. He's an 18th round pick, so he was just kind of a flyer. He's 22 years old. He's 6'5". It's a really raw swing. He's going to be a late bloomer. But if we're if, if in four years we're looking at a 26-year-old Burl Dixon who's put a bunch of tools together, oh me, oh my, you could be looking at like a like an Adolis Garcia type of rookie year where you know he's like 28 years old, but there are so many tools. Now it's also very possible he gets the double A, strikes out 80% of the time, and then there goes that pipe dream. Um, but man, it was just fun because like for a week, for the last 10 games he's played, you've kind of watched that. Oh man, like maybe, maybe there's a big leaguer in there. Like, I don't know. The athleticism is off the charts. I think my comment on Twitter the other day was he's got more tools in your dad's garage. Um, but my goodness, man, that was a a very good one, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when he puts it all together, he is so much fun to watch. It just, it's a matter of getting him to put it all together, but man, I, I really enjoyed watching him this last week and a half. And those two home runs he hit, like, weren't cheapies at all. They were absolute mammoths. Like, he absolutely crushed both of those balls. He's so interesting. Like, guys like that that are just, like, you can see just the, I mean, raw athleticism puts it lightly, but just a freak of an athlete and a freak of a body. Like, I mean, dude, 6'5", 185. And, I mean, so it's just, he's all arms and legs. But the... The swing, just everything, you you just know kind of what it could be if he puts it all together, which is a huge what if for a 22-year-old in low A. But you're right. Like, in three or four years, he puts it together, fine, you know, kind of refines some stuff. Like, he's a dude that, like, some team or the Royals are going to fall in love with him. He's going, we can't not have this dude playing at least a couple times a week because the athletic profile is so ridiculous. And it was just a ton of fun to see him to have that kind of have that kind of performance. And like I said, if you haven't seen the home runs he hit, like go watch them because it's it's ridiculous what he was able to do. Yeah, you can find those on our Twitter account. If you just search in Twitter at Royals Farm Dixon, so D I X O N, they'll pop up. I mean, he hit a home run that must have been four hundred and thirty feet. I mean, my. God, he hit it a lot. I think 430 might be putting it lightly. He hit the <laughs> like the he hit the berm parking lot on the other side of the fence. Yeah. I mean, that was an absolute and not, and not like the, the fence, like the of the field, like the fence that stops people from having their cars hit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was incredible to watch. I was, you know, again, it was it was just 10 games, but it's like, man, um, he 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 earned himself onto the honorable mention on the back half of our top 50 list. So he didn't crack top 50 or nothing, but he got the, he got he got his name on the honorable mention there. Yeah, I want to I want to mention really quick, Joel, before we go. Um, if you guys have ever seen our Twitter account or our website, or maybe you just listened to the podcast, over on RoyalsFarmReport.com, we have an article pinned to the top of the website. Uh, we have a new partnership with Glory Days Threads. It's GloryDaysThreads.com, and we have a uh, some T-shirts that are for sale over there and. You know, it's just a, it's just a way to, you know, show your support. Um, you know, the podcast that we do, um, we get, I think, like 20 bucks a month from SB Nation. So that there's a little bit of reimbursement in terms of getting like the software that it requires paid for. But all of the work we do at RoyalsFarmReport.com, and there's, there's a staff of us over there from guys that 
guys that run the show, uh, Joel hosting the podcast, um, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff that we do over there. Um, buying a shirt is a way to, to show your support for us, to help us, you know, navigate this as best we can and and get something in return. So like I I mentioned before, we also have a Patreon page where you can go and, and just kind of, of donate that way. But at least with like the glory days threads, t-shirts, I think they're fantastic. Uh, Kyle at Glory Days Threads did a great job designing those for us. Um, you know, you get something in return for your money. So if you if it, if you feel so inclined to head on over to Glory Days Threads and buy a Royals Farm Report T-shirt, uh, 100% of those proceeds will go to the staff at Royals Farm Report to to help support our guys who do really good work. Um, we're hoping to hire on. Um, I'll, I'll leave a secret as to who we're hoping to, if you, if you, if you're an OG fan of the website, we used to have a Friday beer column that was absolutely fantastic. I'm hoping to be able to hire on one or both of those guys to give us a Friday beer column again. So um, we'll see if that comes to fruition, but you know, the purchase of these shirts helps. So I uh, really appreciate all of you guys for listening, for following, for reading. Um, and if you feel so inclined again, glorydaysthreads.com. We have a Royals Farm Report collection of T-shirts over there. They're outstanding. Uh, go ahead and go take a look. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to go and buy one just for myself because, I mean, it's, they're really, really awesome. And it'll also help myself out. I'll get that money back right away, so it's pretty dope. Um, before we get out of here, just really quickly, we have just a few minutes left. And we thank everybody for listening at this point. With the trade deadline coming up at the end of the week, there could be some Royals on the move. Uh, we don't know who. I know there there have been rumors of Wit being floated out there. Um, a team like Seattle, who, if you don't know, I'm a fan of the Mariners as well, have been since before I became a Royals fan. So kind of weird. Uh, it's a weird dynamic. One, that the Mariners are actually good. But two, the fact that Wit could end up there. Um, you know, a guy like Carl Santana, possibly. You know, there, There's a lot that could go down here next week or nothing. Like, I think there's either the Royals are going to trade off like multiple pieces or they're going to do nothing. and. And it, we're going to, you know, have the same team going into August with some some call-ups here and there. I, I don't even know how to go with it. but And as much as I love Whit Merrifield, I think the return is going to disappoint fans because I think we probably value him more than maybe the rest of Major League Baseball does. I, I and, and I don't think that there's and, – and that's not a knock on Wit at all because he's a solid big leaguer and turned himself into a solid big leaguer after spending – you know, getting to the majors when he was 27 years old. So, you know, there, there's some credit where credit is due there. But I don't think – I think the package might underwhelm compared to what, how we think – like the fan thinks of Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I agree. I also think we can talk fans into it pretty easily because, like, the average fan – and by the way, this is totally reasonable, right – I think the average fan is very in touch with the top 100 prospects of certain organizations. And and that's it. Like think about the guys we love here with the Royals, Jonathan Bolin, Alec Marsh, Kyle Isbell, Eric Pena. We love all those guys. They're not top 100 prospects. So I really think MJ Melendez, not a top 100 prospect. Like you're telling me that if all you knew is you were getting MJ Melendez in a trade, like you'd be happy about that. Um, just because he's not a top 100 prospect doesn't mean they can't be really good. So if the Royals wind up getting an Austin Shenton or a Zach Deloach from uh, Seattle in a trade for Wit, that would be outstanding. I would be 
ecstatic with both those returns. And I, and I think everybody should be. So while it's, I, I still think it's only like a 25% chance Wit gets traded. Um, I have seen more and more smoke around it. So just keep an open mind. If you're listening to this before the Wit trade goes down, if it goes down, keep an open mind that it doesn't have to be Julio. Like here, I'll tell you, it was not going to be, it's not going to be Nuelve Marte. It's not going to be Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kellenick or George Kirby or Emerson Hancock. They're not getting one of those big five names, right? So look for the Deloaches, the Shentons, um, at, at, you know, best case scenario, maybe like a Taylor Trammell. So um, it doesn't have, just because you haven't heard of them doesn't mean they can't be really good. So just keep that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's some other guy, I mean, Carl Santana, I think would be super intriguing, but as I've, I've mentioned on, either on this show or on an Instagram live that I do with my, my friend, Danielle, that it feels very calculated that the Royals signed Mike Minor to a two-year deal and Carl Santana to a two-year deal. And they got Andrew Benintendi with two years left of, of club control. Like as much as we all thought that maybe the Royals would be competitive this year, I don't think it was ever about this year. I think it's more getting a, having some continuity and then going into next year and then you, with an in, influx of young talent with the young arms and a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado and go compete that way. So I think of the of the guys that they signed to your deals, I think Santana's the likeliest guy to go. I don't know what kind of return you can get for him, but I think any sort of value you can get for a guy like Carl Santana, a guy you signed on a cheap two-year deal, you take it and you move on. I'm interested to see if there's any bullpen arms that go because teams will always load up on bullpen arms and it doesn't matter. And Having good bullpen arms is great when you're good, but when they're pitching once a week because you're not that good, like the Royals, it's not worth having those guys. So a guy like Scott Barlow, um, you know, a Jake Brents, I think are, would be super intriguing and teams would overpay for guys like that compared to their actual value and how good they are. So those would be two guys I think to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. And in the most recent edition of our uh, prospect rankings that came out today, like Anthony Veneciano, Will Klein, Dylan Coleman, there are Daniel Tillo. There are relievers coming, and there's a lot of really good relievers coming. They should absolutely like if somebody called and offered them a really good deal for Scott Barlow, they should be moving Scott Barlow. Like there are way too many holes on this team to worry about your bullpen. The relievers are coming. They've got a lot of them. Always trade your relievers if you're bad. Um, I don't care how much control they have. The control is totally irrelevant for the selling team. The buying team might care, but you shouldn't as a selling team. Like if you're two years away and, and the reliever is six years left, you can't look at that and go, oh, but they're going to be here when we want to be good. It's like, yeah, well, you may not be good. And that reliever may not be very good at that time either. They're so volatile. So yeah. trade your relievers, bank on the younger ones, and, and you know, roll tide. Yeah. Well, like Alex mentioned earlier, we'll, we'll have a show that comes out, you know, either right after the trade deadline or at least on Sunday, Monday, kind of after things cool down uh, because the trade deadline and trade deadline ends around five Eastern, but that doesn't mean the trades aren't going to roll in at like four 30 because it just hasn't been leaked yet. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that can happen or nothing. I, I don't know where the Royals are going to sit. It's going to be really interesting to follow stay locked in with us at Royals farm. We will have everything on trades that happen or don't happen or new additions to the, the the farm system that are very possible. So stay with us. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you all next week.